Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. It's going to be a great hour. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and you know what that means. Get your questions over to me. I will ask them on your behalf. It is Ask the Professor. Mark's been a professor here at the University of Northwestern for 35 years. So uh, let me know, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Mark, do you ever wish you were less smart? Because you're like the smartest uh, guy I know. No, I no, don't You're like know the smartest that. guy I know. But you know what? Intelligence is overrated, Bill. Nah, but you're, you've got such a kind, gentle spirit to you, and mm. you, uh, I learned so much from you. I learned about um, study, uh, commitment to the word, and tone. Your tone is beautiful. I could can, have you on every day. Can you uh, say that again? Let me call my wife and make sure she's listening. Let's get her on. Would I mean, yeah, good? absolutely. Yeah, because it's so she's true. She's more fun than I am. Yeah, so. I mean, because it's nice to have biblical knowledge, but you also need mm. to be able to apply it in real life situations where there is gentleness and there is um, the willingness to listen. I just had a um, a proverb up. Now I can't find it. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah. This is me not being ready. Well, if you want to find it, I, it's one of my favorite quotes of the last 10 years, Bill. Uh, pastor and uh, president of Phoenix Seminary, okay. Daryl DeHuse. He said, the whole purpose of theology is to love people with it. Oh, I Isn't that love good? that. Isn't that That's good? fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's Proverbs eighteen thirteen. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, I'm, I'm going to listen then. <laughs> well, but really, I mean, do yeah. we do we as believers are are we putting our, our ourselves in a position to be most effective because we want to listen or we're most interested in talking? Well, I do. I am a teacher, so I get paid to talk. I know you do. You and know, I host and radio so, shows, so. But uh, I think you're right. I've had to learn lessons through my life. I am not by nature somebody who listens. I I like to be ready to counter and object and. Contrast yeah. and everything like yeah, yeah. that. Had to learn it. In fact, with my youngest daughter, I realized I wasn't really listening to her, and I was <laughs> ready to. I had a little uh, imagery that I adopted that has helped a little bit, and Rosie can tell you if it's true. But uh, I try to talk to her now and not have my hand on my sword, <laughs> where I'm just ready to yeah. joust and right. you know yeah, attack yeah. or challenge what she's saying. Just listen to her for a while. I mean, we can always have give and take and back and forth. It's not like there's none of that, but it, it's good to it's good to be able to hear somebody first. Mm-hmm. So then, um, what would you think of this proverb? Proverb twenty seven five: Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Mm-hmm. Put that into the equation. What does that mean? Well, that I think it gets to the idea of what love is. We have this mushy Hollywood idea that, boy, you know, the person who loves is just ooey gooey, and you got this sick looking smile on your face all the time toward <laughs> the person in that. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the greatest tests of love is when you're willing to say something to somebody that might hurt them, but they really need to hear it. Mm-hmm. I thank God I've got people like that in my life mm-hmm. that are willing to risk the friendship, even. 
to wow. say what I need to hear. That's uh, a, another key test of love. Mm-hmm. It's not all smiles and sunshine. Sometimes you have to get down into the down and dirty stuff. So mm-hmm. when um, we talk about being born again and, and having the, the bondage of sin broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so even as believers, and we're new creations in Christ, we've been redeemed. Mm-hmm. We have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. We're still able to sin, right? Yep, you bet. Um, Don't even need the Bible to tell you that. Yeah, but it also means we can not sin. Yep. And isn't that a, a blessing that we can have a choice because once we were slaves to sin, we didn't have a choice, did we? Mm-hmm. We were we were in bondage to it. Yeah. John eight twenty four. All those who commit sin are slaves to sin. Mm-hmm. So when we have this freedom in Christ, why is why do you think that people will continue to identify themselves as this poor broken sinner? Oh, they get down on themselves. I get down on myself. Yeah. Why do I keep on? struggling with the same stupid I stuff. get it. And so it's real easy to start getting your dauber down. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> what we used to say about that. I don't know what a dauber is, but it's down. I think it's in the, in the, butt, the, the butt, buttocks region. I don't know. I'm if not if sure. that's the case, I better not use it anymore. I didn't realize that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we my do. tennis coach used to say, get, put your dauber down. Okay. Yeah, well, then, in other words, get your butt but down. We're, we're easy to be critical of ourselves. And so... You know, it's it's funny how human nature is. We go to the two extremes. Either we're ragging on ourselves all the time and putting ourselves down, or we think we're something special and God's gift to humanity, and we start getting the ego and the pride going. Why mm-hmm. can't we get it somewhere in the middle in there? That uh, it, That's more of what humility is, where we have a, a realistic assessment of who we are. And I think we get plenty of help in the Bible. I turned right away to Romans 6 here uh, for this because, uh, Bill, I think that... Uh, Paul here just hammers it right what you're talking about where he's talking about sin and continuing to sin after we've been forgiven and if you mind here I'd like to read about 11 verses is that See, okay? oh I'd love that yeah uh, Romans 6 starting at verse 1 and Paul says what shall we say then are we to continue to sin so that grace may increase and he says may it never be no way how should we who have died to sin still live in it And then he says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I can't think of a more drastic analogy there to say we have dead, we are dead to sin, and now we've been raised in newness of life to be with Christ. And so he says, for if we have become united with him, with Christ, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then again, he says, knowing this, that our old self, the old nature, the old man, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And that's the key idea there. We're no longer slaves to sin, but Mm -hmm. that does not mean we don't sin anymore, Mm -hmm. but we're not slaves to it. Verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing, again, see how much Paul's saying? We've got to know some things here. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, 
is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. And then Paul wraps up his point in verse 11. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what you should see in the mirror. I am dead to sin, not in the sense I don't sin anymore because temptation still gives me the old, you know, come on over here. Mm -hmm. But it's what he said in verse six, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're alive to God in Christ. And then he gives what I think is the first commands in the whole book of Romans. In verse 12, he says, uh, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We got a choice to make. Are we going to live and present the members of our body, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our legs to sin as instruments of unrighteousness? Are we going to present them to God? as instruments of righteousness. Mm. That word present, Bill, is a sacrificial term. It's Mm -hmm. the term that was used to present an animal at the temple to be sacrificed. We present ourselves. And Paul comes back to that in Romans 12, 1, where he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, to present yourselves to God as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable, which is God's perfect will. So this, I guess the attitude what I'm getting at is we we can fall off the table on both sides. We can get so down on ourselves. We just think we're worthless and we're a piece of junk and all that. If we've been redeemed with Christ, we've got a new life there. And there's far more that God has for us than to constantly be uh, dragging it through the dirt like mm-hmm. that. But on the other hand, we don't start thinking that we got this conquered and we're just going to you know, fly to Jesus in heaven with no problems. Sin and temptation still has its lure. And if we subject ourselves to it, it will uh, make our lives miserable, and it can control us if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. So can you stay in the middle of that somewhere where we realize we're forgiven? We are not walking in that old dead life, but yet we still have to present the members of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I think when we uh, asked you about the open rebuke is better than hidden love from uh, I think it's from Proverbs 27. A listener jumped in with this uh, question. Uh, what do you do, uh, Mark, with the person that can't handle any correction whatsoever? I mean... Well, that, you know, what, I mean, what are you going to do? That this is an issue, and uh, uh, there's there's two or three ways to look at that, though, because sometimes people come in with their, quote, correction... And it's like a machete, and they just come in and hack the person. Mm -hmm. And so I like what Paul gives us in Galatians 6, where he says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them. But he says, in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So when people correct, they should do it with love. And I think a prerequisite, too, if you can do it, is to have a relationship with the person already so that they know you care about them. And you're not coming in to rag on them, but you you care about them. So on the one hand, that's hard. But I know what this listener is talking about, I think, is you have people that are so sensitive and they put that wall up because if you say anything, oh, they're just going to be crushed and mm-hmm. you're just so critical of me all the time and everything. And they're trying to lay it on you where uh, this is it's going to be, a, in my opinion, an impediment to their growth if they don't learn how to take that word of correction when it comes. Almost all the time, if you have somebody who cares about you and loves you, they're going to say things to correct in a spirit of kindness and love. Sometimes people lose their lose their temper and they say things they shouldn't say, but that's where 
confession and making up comes to play as well with with a friend or with a family member. But uh, I I feel for this listener, it's hard when someone just is resistant to listening at all. Uh, They're limiting themselves and their growth if they don't listen to others who have a word for them. Yeah, wise. Once again, Dr. Mark Musk is my guest. Ask the professors. Let me know what your questions are. We have him the whole hour, 877-933-2484, If you've got a question about the Bible, you've always wondered, mm, what does this mean? Or we had a discussion in an online Bible study the other day, and we didn't come to any understanding of a verse, and, and here it is. Maybe Mark can help. Let me know again what it is, 877-933-2484. Be right back. right here in studio with me. I love seeing him, and he's uh, so wise. So let me know what your questions are for him, 877-933-2484. Mark, last hour we talked a little bit about bitterness, and it seems that uh, in James chapter 3, it says, starting in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Yep. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Uh-oh, because I think most of us at some point have had some envy and selfishness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, keep reading, though. Do verses 17 and 18, because okay, then yeah. he contrasts it with the wisdom from above. Okay. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I look at that and I see that as James equal to Paul's fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Yeah, it's you know, fantastic. Where he says that wisdom from above, peaceful, gentle, kind. You know, It doesn't uh, hang on to this kind of bitterness and jealousy and everything. But peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Uh, we are certainly at a place in um, where being a peacemaker is an important important part of uh, our everyday life. Yeah, we seem to uh, be really challenged in the, the days we live in right now, especially in this country, uh, with um, a lot of conflict and um, polarization uh, in the church. It seems to be uh, rampant as well, and so... These might not be the worst uh, memory verses you could put to memory and let God's Word get down deep into our hearts here. Mm -hmm. I love that when you memorize something and all of a sudden you burp it up at an opportune moment and you're going, I don't remember even memorizing that, (laughs) but God's Spirit uses it right Mm -hmm. when you need it. So So maybe you'd comment on Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it, many become defiled. Yeah, that's really good because the writer of Hebrews here is showing that this is uh, toxic, this kind of bitterness, and it 
it grows, it metastasizes, if I can use a cancer term, sure. a root of bitterness, that you get this bitterness and anger and resentment in your heart, and you just let that stew and boil over and over. It has a way of putting down its roots and entrenching itself in your life and heart. Bill, I mean, I think I don't want to be judgmental of other people, but I think I've seen this in people I've known in my life where even the disposition on their faces indicates someone who is just angry I know. I've seen and it bitter too. and resentment. They get these lines in their faces and it looks awful. Now, I might be wrong. It's God's job to mm-hmm. discern that. Right. But just by looking, you wonder, wow, has this person let something absolutely take root in their heart to uh, be resentful and bitter and angry about everything? Your face almost etches the scorn. It is. And the bitterness. The lines of yeah. your mouth go downward, you mm-hmm. know, and everything. So... It's uh, it's a very toxic, powerful thing that we need to uh, trust the Lord to uproot out of our lives. Mm-hmm. Staying in Hebrews, which is not the easiest book for me to understand. But hey, hey. In 13.5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I think that last part of that verse is so powerful and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Okay, I get that part. How about the earlier part of the verse? Mm -hmm. Uh, Be content with what you have. What if you don't have enough to get the bills paid or maybe keep a roof over your house or put the food on the table tonight? Yep. Far be it from me to sit and try to say things about that. Uh, Something that we uh, need to prioritize in that respect, Bill, is to make sure we look out for others and not just be looking to our own interests when it comes to these kinds of things. I don't think it takes too long for especially a church community to figure out if there's people in the community first and then in the wider uh, community that they live in that are in these kinds of situations. So that being said, and I don't want to sound hard on those people who have these kind of true needs, uh, we also, also, though, have to start out by looking at our expectations for life. And sometimes we set expectations that we are going to be (laughs) uh, discontent and unhappy because we're not able to have that uh, lake home up north in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, you know, maybe it's time to take a second look at that and say, uh, what uh, am I discerning need from want here? And uh, honestly, Bill, I think with this pandemic, it has awakened uh, a lot of Christians to this. It's wakened me to it, that we just think we're suffering so much with all this going on, with the lockdowns and the masks and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And man, you know, it doesn't take long if you look at some of our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world to say, <laughs> we have got it so good, even yet, with what we say we're just suffering under here right. now. Now, hear me clearly. I don't want to belittle or pass judgment on someone who truly is suffering in the situations we have today in our world. But for me, I'm just, uh, let's step back from this a little bit and look at just what do I really expect from life and how much of that is uh, tied to this, what uh, the writer talks about, uh, the the love of money and being discontent if I don't have a certain amount. I'm getting to the point now where I'm thinking about retirement, and that's something that can be an anxiety for me. Not say, am I going to have permission. enough? Not without able. my permission. Yeah. We we just, you know, am I going to have enough to be able to support myself? I don't, mm-hmm. I sure don't want my kids to have to mm-hmm. uh, bear the burden for me. And so uh, you can get anxious in a hurry. Well, 
Have you been trusting God so far in your life? Well, let's let's keep that ball rolling then <laughs> right. when it yeah. comes to these uh, last ch- chapters of your life. Yeah, well said. So we study the Bible all the time. You've spent your whole life teaching it. Then we get to Isaiah 55, 8, and God says oh, yeah. kind of flatly, my thoughts are not your thoughts <laughs> and my ways are not your ways. Mm-hmm. So how do we measure that into the equation? Oh, I think that's, it, it's encouraging, Bill. I mean, anyone who studied the Bible, you have to live with a paradox to say, uh, you're never going to get it all, that there's going to be things that still will teach you and enlighten you as you study. I love that. As I get into a passage, uh, theologians call this the illumination of Scripture, when the Holy Spirit turns on the light in your head and you go, whoa, look at that. You read a passage or a verse, and you might have read it two dozen times in the past, but it never grabbed you like that before. That's the Holy Spirit shining his light on that, saying, take a look at this, pal, and see what this really is saying. And so I like it, what one poet said, that the the Scriptures are like a well. It's shallow enough where anyone can drink from it, but it's deep enough where no one will ever tap the depths of it completely. So we keep studying it because we really can learn more. And I hopefully I understand and have learned the Bible more today than I did last year, and last year more than two years ago, but I still got a whole lot of ways to go with that. So you shouldn't get discouraged that you never can figure it all out, but you don't just get complacent with what you know now. You want to stay curious in God's Word. Mm-hmm. It's something that re- I, makes me laugh because I hear sometimes where people, even uh, there have been writers saying this in books, that uh, these uh, theologians, they just think they've got it all figured out, and uh, they, they're just going to tell you this is the way it is from the Scriptures and all that. And <laughs> I'm, I look at that and I say, uh, this theologian sure doesn't think he's got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. But the more I study this stuff, the more questions I have. And yeah. every theologian I talk to, has the same disposition. Yeah, you're just never going to tap the depth of it completely. So uh, keep on learning. Keep on putting down deeper roots into God's Word. Uh, it will never stop bearing fruit in your life. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about uh, bitterness and and envy and ambition and greed. Uh, so maybe we could talk a little bit about Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, um, want to do that. Yeah, were they... Uh, maybe the reasons for God bringing about their deaths and were they saved and uh, that's a good one you know as far as never good whether we're gonna see uh, them in heaven or not oh boy I'm I'm gonna let God uh, figure that one out absolutely yeah so uh, this though uh, comes up in Acts 5 and let me just read it it says here 5 1 but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, you need to understand the context for this, because at the end of chapter 4, in verse 36, it says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas, this is where we learn about Barnabas, mm, yeah. uh, by the apostles, which translates means sons of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so he's getting props for that. Yeah, yeah. And so Ananias and Sapphira sell it, and they bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet, but they keep back some of it mm-hmm. and don't say it. And so... All right, we're going to have to, oh, I think, pick this up okay. after the break, because, you know, I didn't time it well. So no, that's This will okay. be good. We'll get into it in depth when we come back. Dr. Sure. Mark Musk is my guest. And when we return more on Ananias and Sapphira, and I know you've got questions, so send them to me via text, 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. So let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. We're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, it seems like they uh, had a donation. They tried to make themselves look a little more generous than they really were, Mark. Yeah. They um, kept back some of the price of the land. Mm-hmm. And then we can just start uh, in again. Verse 4, when it remained unsold, this is what Peter says to them. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he said these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. Uh, He's uh, lying here, and he's saying that uh, this is lying to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompting you to give this money, but you're holding some of it back, but you want credit for the whole thing, as if this is all the money that you got from the thing. So... Uh, not a good thing. And then uh, when Sapphire, his wife, comes in, they ask her about it, and she supports the the <laughs> the lie of her husband, and she drops dead as well. So God takes very stern measures here to make a point to the church about this, mm-hmm. that you do not lie to the Holy Spirit. You do not lie in your conscience like that. And they both had... Uh... Pretty rapid deaths, didn't they? Really rapid, it mm-hmm. sounds like. So, But let's talk a little bit more about um, just this comment that Peter makes. Has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Um, when we think about the l- practice of not telling people the truth and being dishonest, mm-hmm. um, ultimately you're responsible to God for that. Oh, you bet. Yeah. And we live in a day and an age where uh, the stock on lying has plummeted, uh, where uh, we uh, don't value the truthfulness uh, the way we should in the church and as a society. And it's uh, contagious. I have to admit it, Bill, I struggle at times to be truthful uh, in all ways myself because we live in an atmosphere where it's all around us to shade things, to mm-hmm. leave out certain details to things that would shed a whole different light on what I'm talking about. Uh, I like to use the definition for truth-telling that you are straightforward with the truth. You're not massaging the truth for your own benefit. You're not even leaving out certain things or emphasizing certain certain things that aren't, aren't that important. You're You're straight with people, with the truth. And I'll be honest with you right now, I'll be straightforward. I fall short of that and uh, many more times than I really should because it's so easy to exaggerate something or to just leave something out. That's maybe the most pernicious one Mm -hmm. where we'll tell the truth. I mean, any parent can tell you this is the case with two kids that are fighting with one another. (laughs) You know, you talk to kid one and they say, well, you know, he hit me. And pretty the parent that goes and disciplines kid two after hearing that. You got to listen to kid two. Well, yeah, I hit him because he bit me. Oh, (laughs) kid number one left that out of there, you know. He told the truth, kind of, but he really didn't tell the truth. He wasn't straightforward with it. And so that one gets me a lot of the time. When I need to say more and fess up to things especially, it's easy to just kind of leave that out. And oops, you know, did I fail to mention that? Oh, isn't that too bad? 
and I start justifying myself and everything. So mm-hmm. uh, I would say uh, I would love to see the stock on Truth, Truth Incorporated, that people would buy into that and the stock value would rise in the church and in our society. Mm-hmm. It would be good for everybody. Isn't it Psalm 116 uh, that says, uh, all men are liars? Oh, I don't know about that. I'd have to look at the context for that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me jump to it right now. Sure. I was just thinking about that verse. Um, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. So I I don't got to, I'd have to put that in context. It sounds like, yeah, that's verse 11 there. I believed... Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Yep. Good stuff. That is really good stuff. Yep. Uh, Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Two four eight four. Um, I sometimes hear often, "This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it." Mm-hmm. What uh, What do we mean by that? Well, the God has given us the gift of life today, and it's easy to take that for granted. There's still air in your lungs. You're able to breathe. You're able to function. And sometimes we take a lot of that for granted. And so we need to rejoice at the giver of life, the sustainer of life. Uh, God pulled back on us, and we'd drop over, and that would be it. So we like to think so independently at times about our own existence, and we depend on him for every breath. It's so true. Um, And if we were to spend some time developing just a a nonstop list of things we're grateful for, we could go on for days, couldn't Mm -hmm. we? But there again, we have to step back and to be able to really look at it. Uh, again, I mean, I'd talk about the situation in our country and the great things that we take for granted so much of the time, all the time. Uh, I like to just stop and think about this when I pray over a meal to say there's so many people in the world that just can't go to a refrigerator chocked full of food and pick out from any of 20 different things to eat today and be filled to the point of exploding. And uh, here I just take that for granted if I'm not careful. So thank you, Lord, for mm-hmm. that provision uh, that we can uh, that's so bountiful that we we uh, struggle to even remember it's mm-hmm. your good hand proverbs ten nineteen. mark says you will say the wrong thing if you talk too much so be sensible and watch what you say <laughs> does that just hit get, right oh, in the gut doesn't like, it for guys yeah, like you uh, and me yeah i know it. it's squarely just, uh, squarely you in see the your engineer over here too smirking too oh, he's yeah. not saying anything so yeah i'm not yeah. paying attention to him right now we got to open his mic here get him going too so. yeah <laughs> So what are we supposed to think about that verse, by the way? (laughs) Watch how much you talk. (laughs) Stifle. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, James has his equivalent in uh, James chapter 1, where he says, uh, let me get it right so I don't misquote it, but uh, James says, but verse 19, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Oh, man, how many parents have used that on their kids before? You know, don't mm-hmm. be flying off the handle. Shut up and listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think when when you have somebody say to you, I'm just so afraid that God is mad at me and disappointed with me? 
Well, it's hard to just take that as a one-sentence statement. Okay. Of course, you need to talk to the person and find out some details of it because it may be true that God is uh, not pleased with Mm -hmm. the things you're doing in your life and the direction of your life. But it may be that you're just immature yet and you want to be more mature in Christ than you are right now. And so you get frustrated with yourself because you're not... uh, as patient as you'd like to be, or mm-hmm. you're not as generous as you'd like to be. This is a funny thing, Bill, and I've done a lot of introspection. I've been around long enough where you get enough time to think about this stuff, but it seems like we love to focus on the things that we have a deficit of. So we can have a person that is just the most loving, kind, gentle, compassionate person, but they struggle to think clearly and logically about the scriptures and the teachings of scripture. So what do they think about? Oh, I just can't think straight about the scriptures. That's what they focus on. Mm -hmm. Instead of rejoicing that God has given them that kind of gentle, tender hearted, uh, forgiving and kind spirited kind of disposition. And then you get the other person on the other side of it, that they, uh, they have uh, knowledge of the scripture back and forth, up and down, but they struggle being warm with people. So what are they going to think about all the time? Man, you know, why can't I be a, a more congenial person, uh, someone that people like to be around? We love to dive into those deficiencies. And it's not a bad thing to put it before the Lord and hopefully be able to reboot and become something different in the power of the Spirit. But sometimes you get focused in on that and there's not a balance to that to recognize that, yeah, this is really a struggle for me, but there's other things that God has equipped me with that I really am able to do to serve Him and to help people. And so uh, there's a there's a both and there and not uh, just the negative all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this verse out of Psalm 199, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Mark, would it be safe to say that if you don't have a lot of scripture that's in your heart, that you're going to be in a position to much more uh, readily and easily sin? Seems like that's a a legitimate way to uh, look at that statement that uh, God's Word is the food and the fuel that the Spirit uses to grow us. I love to tease my students that every time you get into the Scripture, it's like the Holy Spirit bears his knuckles and goes, okay, let's go. (laughs) Uh, Now you've given me something to work with here, and let's start that transformation process and see you become more like Jesus today. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, That is fueled through... The, the scriptures. That's the primary fuel. It's not the only fuel. We can learn from experience. We can learn from other people. But God promises us that we will be transformed as we devote ourselves to him and his word and put that word in our heart so that we may not sin against him. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. My, uh, my husband and I have a question about Psalm 91, specifically verse 9 and after. Can you explain the meaning? If God says no harm will come to us and he will give his angels orders concerning us to protect us in all of our ways, hmm. how is it that Christians across the world are purpose, purposely tortured and killed? Yeah, that's, uh, let's just read some of this, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Psalm 91, I'm not sure. Starting, after, starting in verse 9. Yeah, and, and, I could start there. I mean, I, you okay. almost have to start at verse 1. Okay. Uh, because the psalmist starts out saying, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will, uh, Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, 
It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And now I'll go down to verse 9 here. He says, For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. A terrific uh, prophecy there about Jesus being tempted by the devil. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. So the point of this is God is our refuge and our strength. And so when we entrust ourselves to him, he will take care of us. Does that mean he delivers us from every bad situation we get into? Uh, that seems to be taking this uh, way too far. Uh, the thing I like to say about this is that people who are attacked and there are those who uh, plagues and evil befalls us, uh, if it costs us our life, then God takes us home to be with him. There is no uh, bad ending to that story. Uh, it may be the end of our lives and other people may suffer because we are taken from them. I don't want to belittle that one bit, but there is a wonderful, happy ending to all of this. So to those of us watching it, it looks senseless and we struggle. And I'll be the first one to admit that. What is the purpose of mm-hmm. this? Why is this happening? But in this trust that we have in the shelter of the Most High, uh, this is what I fall back on. I don't know about you, but this uh, I just take it to the Lord and say, I, I don't exactly understand what's happening here with me or with this person that I'm thinking about, but we can trust you that you are going to sustain us even in the worst. I like it. All right, we've got time for some more questions. Let me know, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Mark Muska is my guest. My friend. Man, sounds like my, we're having a hoedown here. Kind of does, doesn't it? I yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark, talk about the kingdom of heaven. People talk about, hear about the kingdom of heaven. What is that? Yeah, the kingdom of heaven, uh, that's an interesting term because it's the term used predominantly by Jesus uh, in the gospel writer Matthew. Uh, the other gospel writers will use an equivalent idea of the kingdom of God that they talk about. And so uh, there's a lot of speculation about that. Uh, I think there's some merit in the theory that says that Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and rather than using the name of God in this designation, he would uh, keep himself from offending them by using God's name by this uh, by calling it the kingdom of heaven. But it's really essentially the same term, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this kingdom, uh, I think it's very simple to, to define it. Uh, this is where God rules. And so obviously this is the spirit domain where God rules. There is rebellion yet in that spirit domain with the demonic powers, but he's going to take care of that. But then there are those who are saved and there are the, is the angelic host as well. The kingdom of heaven is also on earth. When Jesus came as the king, he brought the kingdom with him. And so in one sense now, the kingdom is present here 
on the earth, and it's asserting itself in the form of the church in the age that we live in, where uh, there's a whole lot of really good things that come from the church and its its influence on the society. So we see this kingdom of heaven in our midst, but it also has its future connotation to it as well. I like to go to Matthew's parables to understand so much about what this kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, just in uh, Matthew 13 alone, he tells a whole series of parables where he prefaces it by saying uh, the kingdom of heaven is like this or that. He talks about the parable of the sower, or he says uh, the uh, uh, the, the uh, parable of the tares and the wheat in Matthew thirteen twenty four. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed. Uh, Verse 31, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is uh, man took and sowed in his field. It's smaller than all others. Uh, Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman takes and hides in three pecks of flour until it's all leavened. So this is a way that he is describing both the here and now of what God's kingdom is like, where he rules in the midst of the earth and then in the future heavens and earth that we will live in, but then also the future ramifications of that as well. It, there's, not really a, a, there's not really a cutoff for that kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, church, uh, some church people now and pastors, uh, they prefer using this term, the kingdom, over the church because it seems to be broader. That brings in, it spans into the Old Testament with Israel being uh, the, uh, uh, God being the king over Israel, the kingdom of God there in the Old Testament. So uh, I think both of them are perfectly uh, legitimate. The church is a perfectly good word to talk about God's domain in the world today. Uh, but the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, broad uh, application of a term to where God rules over his creation. Mm-hmm. Mark, how would you uh, teach the parable of the sower out of Matthew 13? Yeah, this is a good parable. It's a great parable. Remember, the parables are intended to teach us something by comparing something we don't know about to something we do know about. Mm -hmm. And so this is an agrarian society. They know about the way things are sown and what happens to seed. Uh, For those who haven't read this thing lately, uh, the parable, uh, Jesus says, the sower went out to sow, Matthew 13, verse 3. He sowed some seed fell beside the road. The birds came and ate them up. Other seed fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on a good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And Jesus ends it by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And so uh, that, we can go a lot of different directions with that. Thank goodness the disciples asked him about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because we could go all over the place with, what is he talking about here? And they ask him, first of all, why do you teach in parables? And he explains that starting in Matthew 13, 10. But then he goes down verse 18 and he explains the parable. And so he says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown on his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Okay, let's stop there. All right, that person didn't have 
saving faith in Christ. No. They, they, they heard something. They heard it something. Meant nothing to them. Well, and before they could really think about it, and it could take root, right. shoom, it's okay. gone. All right. Okay. So that, that, that person is clearly yeah. not a member of the, of the family of God. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And so now that person is someone that is, you might call it a flash in the pan type of person and a Christian. They declare their faith in the gospel and in Jesus. They're very excited. They seem to grow a lot. But then when things get tough, they fall away. There's no root to it. Mm -hmm. There's got to be depth that builds into that relationship with Christ. Was that person ever saved in the first place? Well, we're going to run that around the flag and not be able to really uh, uh, be able to determine that. We can go back and forth on that till the cows come home. All right. But then the next one, he says, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and becomes unfruitful. So is that person saved? Again, I'm going to leave that to God and not think of uh, getting that out. But the point is, this person's completely unfruitful because they've been distracted by these all mm-hmm. these other things. And so any kind of good they've been for Jesus to serve him, to spread his word, to help people in need, uh, it's been choked out by all these other desires and the things of the world that have taken priority over them. And then verse 23, the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. This is the person who is rooted, Mm -hmm. you can say, in God's word. Remember, this is all people who are hearing the word. And so you could say, Jesus is telling us that when the word is proclaimed to an audience, you're going to get a variety of responses to it. Mm-hmm. Some people, they hear it, and it's gone before they leave. Other people will hear it and uh, get all excited and then fall away later. Others will hear it and grab onto it, but then they're unfruitful because they get distracted by everything else. But some of those people will hear it, and it will bear fruit in their lives, and it will do good for the kingdom. So I think Jesus is pretty much being matter-of-fact here to say you can't expect everybody to hear this and respond in one particular way. There's going to be different ways people receive the word and how, how it acts in their lives. Great answer. I appreciate that teaching on that, Mark. Um, and well, we you... get stuck with that whole thing about whether these people were Christians or not. And, you know, when the, the Scripture isn't that definitive about it, I try not to be so definitive, yeah, too. You know, smart. you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, yes. which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we're abiding in Him, mm-hmm. and we are that seed fell on good soil and and it sprung up um so we become part of the family of god he has got work for us to do yeah yep and i appreciate that parable of the sower and the seed because we do get so easily distracted and you know it might not hurt us it might not lead us into sin of of blatantly disobeying God and doing all kinds of evil stuff. But isn't it also evil and displeasing to God when we get captured by other things that occupy our hearts and our thoughts mm-hmm. and take us away from serving him and serving the interests of the kingdom of God? 
uh, that uh, that to me is a much more subtle but a much more real danger for uh, many of us in the church. We have mm-hmm. to step back and, and take a look at that. Yeah. In Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Yes. Isn't that a powerful reminder for our listeners as we're closing our time together. Yeah, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy yes. Spirit, right? He is our companion. Mm-hmm. He is our helper. He walks right alongside with us. He lives within our bodies. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for you and the Father sending him to us to be our companion. Uh, I would be hopeless without God's Spirit walking beside me. Yeah, but there are, plenty of uh, believers, people listening that that question this, do I really belong? Am I really yeah. part of God's family? Am I really mm-hmm. a Christian? Yeah. And I, I get that all the time here. Yep. And I, I just want to comfort them with these powerful words that if you have uh, believed and put your faith and trust in Christ, you you should be right hearing the, the testifying of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of opposition that wants to have you cast doubt in that. But uh, I like to just say to people, Bill, what are you trusting in right now to be right with God? Are you trusting your works? Are you trusting that you're a good person? Well, yeah. then we may have a problem. Yeah. But if you're trusting Jesus to forgive your sin through his death in your place, then you can be reassured. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, uh, maybe you do need to think about it. Thanks for the time together, Mark. Hey, it's great. You know, I love hanging out with you. Yep, it's and more fun than eating. I know. And to think that we did this together on air today. This has been good. Mm-hmm. I like fun. it. Yeah. Yep. Dr. Mark Mosk has been my guest. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, caring about Faith Radio. Thank you for supporting us. That means the world to us. Uh, we just uh, love you. We pray for you. And we're hoping uh, that you get a good night's sleep. And I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.